podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Our text this morning is out of the book of John. Book of John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of John chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. I am uh, in the spirit of keeping step with Christ in this season of Lent, moving towards Palm Sunday next week, Good Friday, the Friday after, and Resurrection Sunday, two weeks from today. We're going to be looking at our gospel passages, and today's text is out of the book of John chapter 12. Let's read this together. Uh, I'll read. You can just follow along. Sometimes that's always very confusing. Does he want us to read aloud? Or Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here... A dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. I've got a lot of snarky comments about that one right there. (laughs) Only the women caught that. (laughs) Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask today that you would move through clay lips and you would move through feeble lives and that the the proclamation of the gospel through the word of God, through the living word of God would be heard. We pray, Father, today that we would be faithful to the heart of God, to the character of Christ, and that we would be faithful to the purposes of God in the earth. Lord, as we learn from the word today, there is many things for us to discover, but we ask, O God, that you would take the words that are spoken and speak to every single one of us exactly where we're at, that you would lead us to the cross, and you would lead us to the table, and you would lead us to resurrection life in the power of your spirit. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, in the few moments that we have together, uh, I want to talk about, and as I prayed, there are many things that we could address, but I'm going to focus specifically on worship in the new kingdom. Worship in the new kingdom. Uh, There's a lot of things that are happening here in this passage, and obviously one of the clear things that is happening is uh, this this is a worshipful passage. There's clear worship that is taking place, and I think there's actually a lot of things for us to learn about what worship looks like in the kingdom of God that Mary demonstrates for us, and I'd like to pull some of those things out and allow her life to inform and shape our lives as it relates to us being a worshipful community, and as it relates to us learning how to worship Christ 
well. So let's go back into uh, this passage here at verse two. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus's feet and she wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The first thing I wanna say is that, that worship is always a response to a revelation of who Christ is. Worship is always a response to a revelation. If you're writing any notes, just write, write revelation. Just write revelation. Okay, I'm gonna give you three R's today, make it super simple. I don't always preach this simplistically. Sometimes I do, but today is gonna be one of those days. It just kind of shook out that way. All right, worship is a response to a revelation of who Christ is. Worship is not an obligation. Worship is not just kind of a ritualistic deal. It's not just something that we do uh, out of some form of formalism. Worship is a response of the heart. And that response comes by way of seeing how beautiful, how worthy, how good, how amazing God is revealed in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And we see this happening right here. We see that everything that Mary is doing, it's being done out of this rich revelation that I am standing before the Son of God. And here's something that is really, really peculiar and also fascinating here is that, is that Mary is doing something that is completely uncharacteristic. Completely uncharacteristic. And she's doing something that's prophetic, which simply means that she is doing something in the now, in the physical, that has massive spiritual implications for the later. Now, in the Old Testament custom and tradition, we know that most kings were anointed, and they were usually anointed by some very significant religious figure, usually by a prophet. We can think back into our, into our memory, and we can think about David being anointed by Samuel, being called out, and oil being poured over him. And, and there's something very similar that's happening here. But here's something that's different. Here's something that's unique. Number one, not everybody realizes what's taken place that Mary is doing something that everyone else doesn't know what's going on. And how is that? How, is, how does she have this inside track? How does she have this, this sense of knowing that I'm actually anointing the king of kings and I am preparing him for his burial? Well, it's revelation. It's revelation that comes from a place of intimacy. And this worship that she is, that she is providing, that she is giving to Jesus the King. It's flowing from a place of revelation and that revelation flows from a place of intimacy. See, in our relationship with God, we see this, this kind of symbiotic relationship going on that the more that we have an understanding of who he is and the more we respond to that, we respond out of love and we respond out of devotion and we respond out of worship and we respond out of obedience. But then as we respond out of love and worship and obedience, then he reveals more of who he is to us, right? And as he reveals more of who he is to us, then we respond out of deeper intimacy and deeper intimacy, he reveals more of who he is. And this is how we see the cycle in a very positive way, growing in our relationship with God. And the point for all of us is, as God reveals himself, however that may be through his word, through his people in a life group, taking nature walks, whatever that might be at the table, as you have this revelation of who Christ is, man, res respond to that. Respond to that. Capture those moments. 
Now I think about even, even long-standing relationships. And I think particularly in terms of either really good friends or even romantic relationships in the context of a marital relationship, even those can grow cold. They can just, they can just grow cold because we stop responding to the revelation. Listen, guys, if you see your, if you see your spouse and she's looking good, if there's something particularly like, hey, man, she got her hair done, or you're just, you see her and you're like, oh, I like that outfit. Man, say something. Somebody said preach, and I will. I'm just getting warmed up, y'all. Okay? And here's what here's what'll happen. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, you respond, and then she'll go, Oh, I see. He likes it. Right? Maybe I should flip this around. <laughs> like, why don't you just speak to what you would do? Okay, you have no idea what the woman, but it's I respond when Christy's like, hey, I like that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do more of that. Because what gets praised increases. <laughs> but see, listen, even in relationships, I think sometimes what happens is, is we just stop responding to revelation, right? You have a friend of yours, you see something good, you notice something that they do, and then you just, you just kind of keep going. And you don't stop, you don't pause, you don't send that text, you don't write that note, you don't make that phone call, you don't take them out, you don't look them in the eye, you don't. And over time, when that happens, when that happens, hearts, just familiarity causes relationships and causes hearts to grow cold. And that happens in the natural. It happens, I mean, moms and dads, think about that. Think about the first time your kid came home, right? I mean, you were smitten, okay? Then by the time like three or five or 15, and then all of a sudden like that sense of just being overwhelmed with love and emotion, it just kind of gets old, and we stop responding to revelation. Revelation, whatever that revelation may be, the revelation of being grateful, the revelation of the immense value and worth of this other person's life. So one of the ways that we grow in our relationship with God is very simply, worship in the new community, worship in the kingdom of God is learning how to respond. One of the things that Jonathan and I talk about is we, we talk a lot about the nature of the songs that we sing. And I think it's important that when we sing the songs that we sing on a regular basis, that we, we interact with these songs on multiple levels, right? Like read the lines and think, and I know sometimes it's going so fast and it's hard to really absorb that. But sometimes, you know, what I'll do is I'll actually pull back and I'll actually stop singing and I'll just read and I'll just try, I'll take a moment. I'll take in those words. Like, dang, this changes everything. And I allow myself to be wowed by that, right? Allow yourself to be moved. Like, think about it, absorb it, reflect on it, take it in, go, huh, yeah. And then carry that with you throughout the day, throughout the week and allow that to move you, allow it to infect you, allow it to affect you, allow it to impact you, the words that we sing. Coming here to the table, like, listen, it's so easy just to come in this, and, and we got, man, we had a lot of kickback when we said, we're gonna do this on a regular basis. And I understand why. Because if we're not careful, this just can become this, you know, this dead, archaic, religious, and we just kind of move it into the realm of legalism and it's just devoid of life and spirit, but it doesn't have to be that way. 
It doesn't have to be that way. That's like me saying, hey, you, you know, you schedule a weekly dinner with your family. Well, that's going to get religious. You, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't plan out a consistent time to date your wife because it's going to get religious. That's the same logic there. Okay, now listen, with it, if it gets dead and boring and religious and, and obligatory, that's on me. And what happens is it moves into that when I lose sight of revelation. And when I stop responding to those glimmers of revelation that pop up. So I try to regularly posture my heart. Lord, I'm so grateful. I come again. I renew my vows again. I, I, I direct my, my affections towards you again, afresh and anew. This is how, this is one of the ways that we keep our life in God fresh. We keep our life in God vibrant because I don't know about you. I'm in this for the long haul. Like I'm in this with the trajectory that when I'm in my 80s, that my level of passion and love and devotion and strength to God is greater in my 80s than it is now. That's the trajectory I'm on. And I've gotta be, I've gotta be asking myself, if that's what I want towards my end, what things do I have to set in place now that keep me moving in that direction? One of the things that I do with the young people that I walk through premarital counseling is I said, listen, this is all about habits. Like keeping this romantic intimacy and passion, your relationship alive and fresh, a lot of it has to do with your habits. And so while you're just floating right now, because we all know that when you're engaged, like you got so much current and so much momentum, it's just pushing you. Like they can do nothing wrong. And if they do, it's like, oh, it's okay, it's cute. It's actually sweet, it's endearing when you do that. Oh my gosh, I just like to do it again. I just love that, right? Okay, then there's gonna come a day when it's like, are you kidding me? And you're not flowing with the good. Now, now you're like fighting against the current of selfishness and the current of busyness and the current of, oh my gosh, why don't you just, you don't have to squeeze the toothpaste. Roll it out flat. It's really easy. So simple. So what do we do? We gotta just develop these habits Okay, and what I tell these guys, I'm listening, when you got all of this inertia and momentum and force working for you, this is the best time to develop good habits. Okay, because then what happens is the habit will keep you when you don't have that momentum of feeling that's going on anymore. Okay, so what do we see here with Mary? We see first and foremost that she is responding to a revelation of who Jesus is. We can actually look back earlier in the book of John and many of us all know this story. Jesus is at Lazarus's house and Mary, what is Mary doing? She's serving, she's busy, still doing it. Mary hasn't learned yet. I'm sorry, Martha, 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 busy, involved, active, active, active. And we see in that story, what's Mary doing? She is beholding. She is tending, she's gazing, she's listening, she's pausing, she's stopping, she's cutting out time and space. Yeah, there are things to do, but here's the thing that Jesus is saying, there will always be things to do. There will always be things in this life and even more so now. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Amazon, eBay, I mean, it's like notifications. It's like, good Lord. 
Okay, life, children, dishes, laundry, business deals, contracts, it's like, it's just always pulling at us. And again, now, Jesus has spoken over Mary twice and he said, she has chosen. She has chosen. Listen, listen to me. Responding is not about these knee-jerk, like if I just get myself in the right spiritually charged environment, then I'll react the right way. No, no, no. Jesus says she has chosen. She has chosen. There is a discipline in your relationships. There is a, there's nurturing a longstanding, intimate, vibrant, passionate relationship. It takes work, but the dividends are well worth it. And this is what Jesus says. She has chosen the right thing. In the midst of everything that could be done, she's chosen to pause and she's chosen to behold me and she's chosen to be enthralled with me and she's chosen to learn and she's chosen to worship. All right, next, next point that we see here. So we see that worship is a response to revelation. Number two, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Worship, worship is rich. Worship is rich. It's rich. It's rich in its content. How many of you guys remember that story when, when David took a census of the armies of Israel and against all the council and particularly his second in command saying, hey, 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 well, listen, we don't have to do this. Like Israel's one of the greatest armies around king and you know, far be it from us. And David's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a census of these armies and I'm gonna put stock in how strong we are. And then, and then next thing we know is that God's displeased with that. God comes through the voice of a prophet and says, son, I'm gonna have, have to discipline you, right? And then David brings forward an offering in order to kind of short circuit some of the discipline of the judgment that's coming forward. And there's a man that says, hey, you can have my threshing floor, you can have my altar, you can have all the oxen. And David says something. He says, far be it from me to give the Lord that which costs me nothing. Far be it from the Lord to give him that. Far be it from me to give the Lord that which costs me nothing. Now let's talk about Christianity. Let's talk about modern culture here for a little bit because if you're anything like me and particularly if you're anything like my kids, man, we're all about getting something for nothing. Right? We are all about anything that we can get and not have to give anything. We're all over it. My kids love them some Costco. <laughs> love it. Why is that? Hello, free samples. Free samples. And can I just say, I'm so sorry. You're so sweet, but I don't care about all of that stuff. I'm taking my sample. I'm never going to buy it and I'm out. Okay. <laughs> I feel so bad for those sweet ladies. And did you know how many grams of, I don't care. <laughs> don't know, don't care, not buying it. <laughs> I even try to get shady. I'm all like, hey, do you want something? No, I don't, okay, I'm gonna get two. He'll change his mind. You don't want it? Oh, that's fine. I'll go around the corner, I'll eat two. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Hey, I am all about trying to get something for nothing. <laughs> I think some of that's human nature. I think some of that's Western culture. We do this in our relationships. We do this with, our, we, just, we just do this. We're oriented to try to get something for nothing. 
And then what we do is we pull this into and we allow, you know, in Romans chapter 12, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's a pattern of this world. That is a pattern of this world. Listen, uh, hey, Chick-fil-A, Wednesdays, February, free breakfast. Boom, get on it. Okay, Sundays, I'm, I'm speaking to the moms and dads, little kids. Sundays, Qdoba, right? You buy an adult, kids are free. Okay, Monday night at Payway. <laughs> Tuesday night at Smashburger. I know them all. I got four kids, y'all. Dickies on Sunday, we go in there. Anybody want to go to Dickies? I'll see you there because Dickies is buy one adult entree. Your kids get one for free, okay? So I am molded into the pattern, okay? I'm, the, I'm all over the BOGOs, all right? Buy one, get one, I'm all. You just sign me up. I am a sucker. I am. Chrissy, she laughs. She knows. But here's the thing. We pull that into this. And here's what we do. We flip things here. We get, you know, we go, oh, okay, now I'm in this community and I'm taking, I'm taking the same mentality. How can I get as much from these relationships without giving as much? How can I get all of my spiritual lalas, right? Okay, and just do it as conveniently for me as possible. I'm gonna show up late, but still expect God to blow my mind. I'm not going to read my word and prepare on the weekend, but that pastor better be on point and preach his guts out and give me a heavy revy. <laughs> we do this. Think of, come on, we do, this is how we live. You better always be there for me, but hey, listen, in your time of need, if it's convenient, maybe, maybe I'll show up for you. Okay? right? When you need something, you want every, and you're offended. I reached out. Nobody was there for me. Nobody helped me. Nobody helped me move. Nobody helped me with my party. Nobody helped me set up. Nobody helped me tear down. Nobody helped me with my kids. Okay. And then we're like, hey, um, God, well, maybe we could use a little help. And then I can't believe they would ask for help in the nursery. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Give that to the single folks. They don't have anything going on. <laughs> Guys, look what we do. We pull this into. The, and here's, listen, the culture of the kingdom. The culture of the kingdom is not like the culture of the world. The culture of the kingdom says, far be it from me to give God that which costs me nothing. nothing. Worship is expensive in order for it to really be worship. Jesus had this story. He was sitting back and he was watching people toss money into, right? The offering plate. Remember this? And he's just watching. He's watching. Here's something. Here's something. Sidron, I'm going to give you a task. Because I've already been there, man. We're going to compare notes. But I think it's interesting when you look throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, how many times you see that God watches what we give. Genesis chapter 4. Two brothers. One gave an offering of cattle. One gave an offering of land. And the scripture says that God was aware. He was watching. He was particularly attentive. Solomon sacrificed thousands of animals. God saw it. God showed up in a dream. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 gave alms to the poor. God saw it. God responds in it. God watches. And he doesn't watch like, you know, Santa Claus, I'm checking a list, you know, making a list, checking it twice. But he is aware. He responds to expensive worship. He just does. 
but he responds to expensive worship when it's oriented from a heart of love and obedience that comes out of revelation of who he is. He sees it. We see that, right? You know, you know, you know. You know when somebody rolls something out for you and they, and they you know, they're paying a little something extra. And you know when they're just like breaking out old chips and, you know, dude, buy a new bag. Go buy a new bag. Don't be getting the old chips. That's all broken up. That's the ones you use for the tortilla soup. Don't use those. Get the full chips that I can put some salsa on the full chips. Okay? And you know, we see this. You serving me soda, ain't no bubbles in it no more. Man, go buy me a new thing of salt. I want to know, I want the fizz. Okay, listen, we know. We know if you're just throwing sirloins on the grill or if you're getting some ribeyes or some New York. We know. And God's aware. He's just aware. And that's why, and that's why. Because worship, worship, to be worship is expensive. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus says, listen, this guy only had two little mites and she gave it all. She gave it all. She gave it all. Why would she give it all? Would she, did she give it all so that she can get a private jet? No, because they didn't have jets then. It was kind of a trick joke, okay? <laughs> we got to translate that. Was it so that she could get like a camel instead of a donkey? No, okay? She gave it all because she had a revelation that Jesus was worth it all. Okay? And Jesus took note of it. He took note of it. I had a good friend of mine, several months ago, we were just talking about the nature of friendship. And he said something that was so profound to me. I will never forget this. He said, Jay, there's, no, nah, I mean, this is not, this is not, this is not Bible. Okay. But I think if we analyze this, we can... We can see some semblance of wisdom in this. He said, Jay, there's two kinds of people in life. He says, there's givers and there's takers. There's givers and there's takers. And you can see that. You can see that in the way that people work, givers or takers. All y'all business knowers know what I'm talking about. Because you're the ones worrying about how to pay the bills and you're the ones worrying about how I'm going to staff this and resource this and how I'm going to, and the takers are just like, oh, I'll, just, I'll just cut the hair, I don't care. No one shows up in my chair, no bother to me. And you're like, I got to pay for your chair. You see what I'm saying? Givers or takers. In your marriage, are you a giver or a taker? In your friendships, are you a giver or a taker? In your church community, are you a giver or a taker? In your relationship with God, are you a giver or a taker? Just think about that. Because here's what's interesting. If we really want to like dive in, God is showing us that Mary was a giver and Judas was a taker. Judas was tripping. Why y'all give all that money to the poor? Why y'all give all that money to him? You could give that to the poor. You don't care about no poor people, Judas. And here's the third thing that we see. That's my tee up for this third point. Number one, worship comes out of revelation. That's your first R. Number two, worship is rich. It's gonna cost you something, okay? Number three, worship is radical in its expression. It's radical. Let me just break this down here for like two or three minutes. It's radical. And when your worship is radical, you will always have people who question it. 
We got David over here bringing the Ark of God back into Jerusalem after homeboy got slain. So David's like, hold up. We ain't doing this. We're going to walk six steps. We're going to pause and we're going to make an offering. And that took days. So yes, when I finally get to Jerusalem, I'm stripping my clothes off because I'm dancing like a crazy man because I'm so excited we're here, but I am so enthralled that the glory of God has returned to Jerusalem. And here's Michael. Look at him. Seriously. Who does he think he is? Judging, right? Never judge someone's worship. Listen, I, listen, hey, Y'all may not get anything out of Pastor Jade for as long as you're here, but if you don't get anything, get that. Don't you judge someone's worship. You don't know where they've been. You don't know their story. You don't know their pain. You don't know their trauma. You don't know that God was a rock for them when everything around them was falling apart. You don't know that God was their husband when their husband was beating them. You do not know anyone's story. So when they're crying or they're sobbing or they're travailing or they're jumping or they're waving banners around, you just sit back and go, man, God has done something in their life. And if it does anything, it should invite you in to say, tell me about your story. Tell me you know something about God that I don't know. You've touched something in God that I've not touched yet. And I may be there someday and I need you to help me. But what do you see in him? What has he been for you? Because worship is radical in its expression. But for every Mary who does something absurd, because that was absurd. I ain't got a year's wages, but if I did, I don't know if I'd break them all out and just throw them in the offering bucket. I'm just trying to be real up in this. That's a year's wages. She didn't think twice. She's like, break this junk open, man. This is our king. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to anoint the king of kings. And she's like, I don't care who's watching. I don't care what they think because here's what we need to know. See, this is, this is the little nuances that we don't get. Here's what we don't get. We don't get the fact that a woman in that culture wasn't supposed to touch a man. So you already strike one, Mary. Strike one. Number two, only the revered prophets of that day were to anoint the kings, Mary. You're a peasant girl from the farms. Strike two. You're not the right class. You're not esteemed in society. Number three. In that day, if a woman were to pull down her hair, it was a sensuous act. It was a sensuous act. And Mary said, listen, I don't care that I'm a woman. I don't care that I'm from the farms and I'm not rolling around with robes and phylacteries all over me. And I don't care that I'm gonna get a little undignified because I have a revelation of who this man is. I have a revelation that nobody else was able to help me. Nobody else was able to save me. Nobody else was able to deliver me. Nobody else was there for me when all the world turned their back on me. And this man, this man that I got a revelation of, this man that when he dies, I'm gonna stay at his tomb and I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna weep. This man who nobody, none of the other disciples recognized Jesus, but this woman recognized him.
She recognized him. She heard his voice and she said, Rabboni, you're the one. And what was that? Because she was so intimately connected to him by revelation that came by way of intimacy because she was something for him that nobody on this planet could ever be. And she was moved by it. And she says, I don't care how radical the expression of my worship looks to the world. I'm going to break open my alabaster box. I'm going to take my pure nard. And I don't care if it costs me 20 lifetimes. I'm going to pour it out at your feet because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. That's what worship in this kingdom looks like. So just check yourself. Because anytime we're doing this right here, and anytime, listen, anytime it's about you, it's not about worship. It's not worship. And I don't, listen, I don't, some of our traditions are like, well, I'm just here for the holy word of God. No, you are here to worship the God of the word. You are here to worship the God of the universe who in Jesus saved you. That's why you're here. And pray God we get a, we get a good heavy revy from time to time. Probably gonna get it from Dan or Jonathan, not me. And that's all, I'm good with that. But I will worship my guts out. I will worship him. And that's who we're called to be. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. See, when you're at a crowd, and some of you guys know this, I got some real fans in the house. When you're at a crowd and everybody's cheering for the other team and you're that one lone person who's got the Steelers hat on. For real, you're wearing that? That was Dan. Last year, Seattle came. He's all like, I, dude, he was like, I'm gonna get the brightest green. And he's just, just obnoxious. Just obnoxious like, yes, I am a Seahawks fan. Look at me. Love that. In a sea of orange. One blip of Neil. What is that? It's Dan. Score a touchdown. No, it's silent. The entire audit stadium. Dan. Yeah! Silent. Silent. Now, listen, listen, like, I don't want our church services to be that way, all right, where it's like, you know, 99% are just sitting back, and there's like Concepcion up here, I'm going to worship Jesus, yeah, and everyone's all like, look at her. (laughs) What if all of us were so captured, so enraptured, so taken by who God is, then when the person who comes in who's not on the team, they go, wow, are these crazy people just screaming for Jesus? There's gotta be something to that. I gotta look into this. I gotta figure this out. I don't know why they raise their hands, but every single person in this house is raising their hands. Every single one of them. What is that? What is it? Why, why are they doing that? As opposed to the one person raising their hand and everyone else folding their arms. Right? In this house, we have a no worship judgment zone. That's just, that's just it. Okay? That's just it. Come on, stand to your feet with me this morning. 
Why is she giving all that money to Jesus? She should have gave it to the poor. I don't know if Judas is going to be in heaven or not. I don't know if he's going to be there. But I'm a clown, that fool. Seriously, Judas, why is she not give all that money down? Sucker. Are we coming to the table? We got to get serious now, right, Jonathan? <laughs> Come on up, those ministers of the table. I almost died two weeks ago. I'm getting free. I don't care what y'all think. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on. We love you, Lord. I am going to pray today as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ that every single one of us would have a revelation of his worth, of his matchless worth of his beauty, of his goodness, of his steadfastness, of his ability to forgive anything and never bring it back up. We're gonna, we're gonna pray for a revelation today that literally transforms our lives, that transforms the way we treat each other, that transforms the way we give our money, that transforms the way we worship, that transforms what we do in our free time. I'm asking God today for that level of revelation. How many of you guys are with me today? Father, today we pray right now in Jesus' name that by the ministry of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit would be present amongst us as we come to the table. And as we take the sacrament of the body and the blood of Jesus, we are praying today for an encounter that is mediated by the power of the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes again. And we are asking that this would not be a one-time thing. We are asking that this would be a daily thing, that daily we would wake up, oh God, and our eyes would see you for who you are. And God, that in the drama, Lord, that we would be found to be Mary's. God, that we wouldn't be Martha's that are still so distracted, doing good things, God, that we would not be Judas's that are sitting back and just taking and thinking about how this would benefit us and conniving and hiding and justifying and excusing. Father, we pray that we would be Mary, that you would put a Mary heart inside of us that you would put a merry heart inside of us, God, that leans in and that takes our very best and says, Jesus, you are worth this. You are worth this. I don't know how I'm gonna get to Swaziland, but I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna break this open. I'm gonna pull money out of the savings account. I'm gonna write the letter. I'm gonna humble myself because Jesus, you are worth this. You are worth this and so much more. Father, today, minister to us, we pray, as we come and respond to this invitation to love you and worship you and receive from you at this table. In Christ, I'm gonna invite you to come to the table of the Lord, Antioch, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.